Amen. Thanks, Nick. Good morning, Grace Hill. How is everyone? It's good to see all of you this morning. My name is uh, Alan. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Hill. So if this is your first time here or you're new and I haven't had a chance to meet you, just love to be able to meet you when we're done with the service. Uh, right now, we're going to jump into God's Word together. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up to uh, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. So Luke is one of the Gospels in the New Testament, and it's the third book in your New Testament. So we're going to be in chapter 12 together. If you have a Bible app on your phone, you can use that, or the verses on the screen behind me uh, as well. Um, one of my favorite shows on TV is uh, Shark Tank. All right, do you guys watch Shark Tank? I love Shark Tank. Season 11 just started. I watch it every week. I love it. And one of the reasons why I love the show is because I love entrepreneurs. I love entrepreneurship. I love unique ideas and new business ideas. And I love to watch the pitch. All right? Like, I'm one of those people who loves a good negotiation. If I'm, you know, if I'm going to go buy a car, I'm more excited about the negotiation than I actually am the car that I'm going to buy. I, I love it. It's sport for me, uh, which is not always good. Um, but I would love to be on Shark Tank one day just to pitch an idea, because I think 95% of the pitches on there are terrible, right? So I'd love to go on there and pitch. But I also love the show, because I love to see these new ideas gain investment um, and just see those things flourish. It, it's great. But the other night, uh, Shark Tank, again, season 11 started, so they had their first episode of the season, and they opened the show with this uh, intro montage of all the sharks talking, and what they were doing is they were talking about the vision of the show, why they love the show, why they think this is a, a great show, and uh, what they were doing in the beginning of that show is they were preaching what I'm calling the gospel according to Shark Tank. All right, what is this word gospel? Gospel is this word that means good news. And so we use it in this religious context. So when we talk about the gospel, we talk about the good news of what saves our soul, gives us salvation. And so they were preaching this gospel, this good news on this show. And so what was their gospel? What was the gospel according to Shark Tank? Well, here, let me quote from the sharks themselves, we'll start with Mr. Wonderful, who says this, one idea is power, power to set you free. Oh, that's a great word, free. What does that mean? Well, Robert Herjavec comes in and he says this, he defines it for us. He says, freedom is the ability to control your own life. No one can fire you. No one can tell you what to do. It's all up to you. And then finally, Lori Grenier proclaims, she says, be the ruler of your own destiny and take your life into your own hands. All right, so what is the gospel according to Shark Tank? That, that true freedom, the good life is found at the end of the day in getting rich, in money. Because when you're rich, you control your own life. You control your own destiny. You will be completely independent of anyone around you. You won't ever have a boss. You can live whatever lifestyle you want. You can, you can have the freedom to help people in whatever way that you want. And one good idea can set you free. 
can save your soul from the hardships and the brokenness of this world. It's the gospel according to Shark Tank. Now, I think this is a gospel that every one of us believes at some level in our heart. And I can say that because this false gospel goes all the way back to the beginning, to, to Genesis chapter three. Because what did Satan whisper into the ear of Adam and Eve that tempted them to reject and disobey God? What did he say? He said, you can be free of God. You can be like God. You can have what God has, autonomy, freedom, independence, do whatever you want, no constraints. So Adam Eve said, yes, like I want to be king of my life and I want God out of my life. And that proclamation is the essence of sin. God, I don't want my life to be about you. I want to control my destiny. I want to be able to have freedom from you. And today, here's what I would say, the primary thing that we look to, the thing that is our ticket in our heads to this kind of freedom, to full autonomy, to, to no one can tell me what to do, I think the thing that we look most to, to to get that for us is money. The more money I have, the less need I have of anyone else. The more money I have, the more I can do what I want. The more money I have, the more freedom and autonomy I have. This is why Jesus teaches so extensively about money in the scriptures because money gets right at the root sin that broke all of creation. This is why the passage that we're gonna be studying this morning together in Luke 12 says this in verse 34, it says, for where your treasure is, where your money is, there your heart will be also. In other words, get this, your relationship with money reveals the God you worship. Now, as you know, we're in this sermon series, King Jesus. We're coming towards the end of this sermon series, King Jesus. And this whole series has been about what does it look like to live my life with, with Jesus as king over every single part of my life. And so we've been in this six-week stretch of sermons where we've been talking about all kinds of different topics and trying to apply what we've learned through this series to each of these topics. So we are on our sixth and final topic, which is obviously going to be about money. So we're gonna ask the question, what does it look like for Jesus to be king of our money? Now, there's a reason why a topic such as money can be awkward to talk about, especially in church. It's the same reason why our topic last week, sex, is an awkward topic to talk about in church because these are topics that are close to our heart. And maybe we don't wanna be challenged in this area you know, we don't wanna have to face our unhealthy relationship with things like money or, or things like sex, what we talked about last week. Uh, maybe these are topics that we already just feel a, a weight and anxiety, a stress, maybe some shame over and just don't wanna go there. 
maybe because we don't trust people when we talk about these topics, especially in the church. Yeah, here we go. The pastor, he's going to just religious guilt us all into putting some money into the give box on our way out. But here's what I want to accomplish this morning. This is my goal this morning. My goal this morning is not to get you to give more money to the church. We're actually not going to talk about that. My goal this morning is to loosen the chokehold that money has around our throats. To counter the lie that money equals freedom and show all of us how it is the biggest con in all of creation. And to help us see that Jesus, our Savior, is a far better king. He's a far better master over us than our money is. That's my goal this morning. And so to do that, we need to go to Luke chapter 12. And so we're gonna read uh, several verses from Luke 12. I'm gonna start here in verse 13. Jesus is with his disciples and a larger crowd, and he's just gonna do some teaching here on this topic of money. But let's read, starting in verse 13, we're gonna see what uh, caused Jesus to decide he wanted to do some teaching on this topic. So Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13, says this. Uh, Someone from the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, Jesus said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, them, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Now let's just stop there for for a second and think about this interaction that Jesus had with this man. Uh, have Have you ever prayed to Jesus before about your financial situation? Uh, I have a lot, right? You know, things like, uh, God, I'm in so much debt. Uh, I know I made a lot of poor decisions earlier. I wanna be wise with my money now and and, and make good decisions. Can you help me out with just getting out of debt? God, please. Or, Or God, this month, would you just help the expenses to be lower than the income this month? That would be really helpful. Or God, if you would let me win the lottery, here's what I would do with the money for you. This is what I would do with the money for you. After I take care of a couple of things in the house, this is what I would do with my money, right? There are a few things in our lives that, that cause more desperation in us than money or the lack of money. And that's because when you start to talk about money, you're, start, you're talking about people's freedom. You're talking about people's dreams. You're talking about someone's livelihood. And the thought of more money comes with thoughts of more dreams and more freedom. So this guy comes to Jesus and he has a prayer about his financial situation. Jesus, will you tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? Now listen, we don't know the backstory. We don't know the context or the circumstances, the arrangements that were made in this guy's family. But what we do know is that it seems like Jesus blows this guy off. Almost as if he's not interested in the backstory or who is right, who is wrong, if this guy should get part of the inheritance or not. But what we do see Jesus do here is go straight for the heart. 
See, it's not that Jesus doesn't care about this guy's financial situation. It's that Jesus loves us so much that he cares more about our heart. And if our heart has been deceived by money, he cares more about if we actually believe the lie that money will bring us freedom that our souls so desperately long for. And the last thing that Jesus is going to do for us or for this man is feed the lie that causes our heart to continue to rely on money for what only he can provide. See, Jesus knew what was behind this guy's request. He knew that behind this request in this guy's heart was greed. And Jesus knew that if he said yes to that prayer, that he would only be feeding greed. See, sometimes we pray to Jesus and we don't get the answer that we want and we act like he didn't hear us or he doesn't care when what he's doing is actually what's best for us. So Jesus uses this incident as a a teaching moment to explain to us why the belief that money will bring us freedom is a lie and why he won't answer a prayer in such a way that is gonna feed that lie or feed that greed. All right, so let's continue in our passage in verse 16, Luke 12, verse 16. Then he told them a parable. So all the crowd, remember a parable is a fictional story designed to to make a point, to, to give an illustration of something. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and all my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, oh, you have many goods stored up for for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life is demanded of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. All right, there there are two things that I, I want us to notice about the rich man in this parable. The first thing I want us to notice is his belief about what his wealth would do for him. And the second thing I want us to notice is the decisions that he made based off of that belief. If you look at verse 19, we can clearly see what he believed his wealth would do for him. All right, so, so this guy was a productive farmer and he had productive land and his current problem was he had too much. He was already wealthy. His current barns were already packed. They were full. So this guy, listen, he wasn't worried about putting food on the table. He wasn't worried about paying the bills. This guy's not someone who's in debt, right? He has plenty. He's living in abundance, and yet it wasn't enough. And so verse 19 says that, that once he is able to build his bigger barns, And once he's able to store even more wealth, at that point, I guess he'll he'll cross some threshold where now he will get what he truly longs for, right? His current wealth is not enough. He needs more. And he believed once he got it, then I'll be able to eat, drink, 
and enjoy myself. The ESV translates this, eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, his soul at that moment would find joy and rest and peace. He believed his wealth would truly set him free to live the life that he longed to live. And so that belief drove his life decisions. In verse 17, this man was deliberating about what to do. Look at that again in verse 17. It says, he thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my, my crops? He's, he's deliberating. His current barns are full. He's not in need. And, and so this decision-making process was not being driven by need. It was being driven by something else. Pro tip, if you want to know what you really believe, look at the decisions you make. Because the decisions that you make come out of your true beliefs, the true state of your heart. And this guy believed that greater wealth would provide for him what his soul longed for. We've seen this in our life. I think we fall into this. You know, okay, once I'm able to move out of Northern Virginia, then I'm going to be able to afford a, a much larger home because, you know, homes are crazy expensive here in Northern Virginia. And at that point, man, I'll be able to settle. And that's when I'll kind of really get into the life that I really want to live. So I'm just going to kind of keep my sights on that moment. It's a belief that's going to drive your decisions today. If I don't save more for that rainy day fund, I risk losing everything. It's a belief, good or bad, that's gonna drive your decisions today. Or maybe you subconsciously just believe that you deserve a certain lifestyle or certain clothes, certain products, your house to look a certain way, and, and that belief drives decisions. And so the, the rich man's decision was to invest his time and his resources into tearing down his existing barns, building bigger barns, because he believed that would be best for him. And the time stamps in this parable are really key to understand it. At the telling of this parable, these bigger barns were a plan. They were in the future. They were not a reality yet. However, this guy was about to spend a significant portion of his money and his time on these bigger barns. He had set a goal for himself. He had taken his life into his own hands. He had grabbed control of his destiny. He had empowered himself to do what needs to be done so he could be set free. And God intervenes and says, you fool. There's not gonna be a tomorrow for you. And at that moment, it's just him and God, all of his wealth, is left behind, he's powerless, he's out of control, and his destiny is in the hands of Almighty God. You know, why was this man foolish? How could some of our own financial and life plans be foolish? Because his life decision was based on a lie that is designed to reincarnate itself after it fails you. You gotta get this this morning, this is key, all right? His life decisions were based on a lie that is designed to reincarnate itself after it fails you. Let me explain this to you. Let's play the parable out a little bit more. Let's say this man does go on and he builds his bigger barns. 
The project is done, cut the ribbon. The barns are filled full of crops. He goes and he pours himself a nice glass of aged wine and prepares a feast. And he sits back to enjoy himself. How long is that gonna last? How long until that bigger barn isn't big enough? How long until he realizes, you know what, I really wanna get into the wine business and so now I need to plant vineyards. I need to build new facilities over here. Ooh, that'll be, once we get there, how long until he really enjoys himself? Before the lie reincarnates and all of a sudden he's convinced of a new plan. And when that plan is complete, he will eat, drink, and enjoy himself until the lie reincarnates again. And he doesn't even realize he's getting duped over and over and over again. He's not free, he's a slave. Think of all the time and all the resources that are wasted chasing that lie. How much money was spent? How much crop was wasted? How much time devoted to the belief that greater wealth will bring joy and freedom to the soul just to get conned again? In our own lives, you know, how much time and how much of our money do we waste because we believe the same thing? You know, how long until the, the new house is, is, is built until it, it wasn't as ideal as you thought? Or how long until that new car is outdated and it's just a new car on the road? Or how long until that savings account or your portfolio just doesn't have enough in it and it's time to set a new goal? And in verse 21, God explains that, that this man was foolish because he was rich toward himself and not rich toward God. He believed that more wealth would set him free that drove his life decisions, and he was wrong. He believed the lie over and over. So in verse 17, you know, he's deliberating. You know, what should I do with all of this excess that I have? What if in that moment, God on his knees before God praised and thanked him for all that he had? God, all of this, the barns that I have, all the crop, the excess, this is all blessing from you. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. And then recognize, man, I have abundance. I have excess God, all I have is yours. I'm simply a steward. I'm simply a manager on your behalf. I have all this extra. My barns are full. What would you have me do? Because my delight's not in my wealth, but it's in being your servant. Now, that is a different belief that is going to drive different life decisions and the word of God says that this is where your joy is found because you're not investing in things that are going to perish, but you're investing in things that are internal. See, if you believe a certain amount of money or a particular lifestyle or a nice house or disposable income or healthy retirement account or a big portfolio, being rich towards yourself, if you believe that is going to allow your soul to eat, drink, and enjoy yourself, then you've fallen for it too. It's an unending cycle you can't break out of. And if you go all the way back to the man who first asked Jesus to tell his brother to divide the inheritance. 
Jesus isn't going to answer a prayer in a way that will enable greed to rule your heart, that will feed the lie, that will waste your time and money. Jesus wants to be what rules your heart. And he wants to be the belief that drives your decisions. And listen, Jesus takes this even a step further because he's not just concerned with our greed, he's also concerned that we look to him, not our money, to provide for our need. In the same way that it's a lie that that wealth will bring joy to my soul, it's just as much a lie that money and wealth will cure your anxiety. If we continue in our passage, go to verse 22. I'm gonna read through verse 34. Then he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you will wear, For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? Can't any of you add, can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you're not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you? You have little faith. Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink. Don't be anxious. For the Gentile world, those who don't believe in God, eagerly seeks all these things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be provided to you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I don't have time to to break down that section uh, verse by verse like we did the one before. But I, I just want us to notice this simple detail in what Jesus is saying here. God tells us not to worry about our basic needs. He knows we need them. God tells us to be concerned about seeking his kingdom. See, it's the same reincarnating lie. Once my needs are met, then my anxiety will be cured and I'll be able to rest. It's the same reincarnating lie. Lie. See, the problem with money being the cure to your anxiety is when your basic needs are met, other needs are going to arise. We live in a world that places an expectation upon us to upgrade lifestyle as our wealth upgrades. So once your basic needs are met, you now have new needs for nicer things. If you make more money, you need a bigger house, you need better cars, you need better stuff. And once you reach that lifestyle, it's, it's time to upgrade again. The needs don't stop. The, the greed continues to build. The lie always reincarnates. 
And so Jesus is not as interested in how much money we have. He is more interested in what belief in our heart drives our decisions in what we do with that money. Because whether we're talking about our greed or we're talking about our need, money is not what sets us free. Money is actually a really crafty slave master that always seems to reconvince us that it is the answer and it never delivers. It's a lie. It has a chokehold on us. It's an abusive relationship that always fails us, but we're too afraid to face life without it. So Jesus is saying, whether you have excess or whether you're in need, you can break free from this lie by seeking the kingdom of God first. What does that look like? Taking 100% of what you have, 100% of your money, 100% of your time, 100% of your talent, all of it, laying it before God and, and praying to God and say, God, What would you have me do? Your king, my joy is in you. Everything's on the table. In fact, before you answer God, I'm gonna put my yes on the table. I'll say yes before you even answer. I wanna trust you for what my soul needs and I don't wanna trust money. Uh, My money has been my idol. I've looked to it to give me only what you can give. And if I'm honest, God, I am afraid to answer yes. I'm reluctant to put my yes on the table first because it might mean a different lifestyle. It might mean that some decisions I've already made need to be rolled back. It might mean downgrading, not upgrading. But I'm tired of being conned into thinking that my money will bring me joy and rest. And Jesus meets us in that moment where we lay it all out before him. He says this, verse 32, one of the greatest verses in all of scripture, where he says, don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. He delights to give us, meaning he's eager to give us his kingdom, to give your soul rest and peace. Now, This isn't a promise for worldly prosperity or material things. This is a promise for what your soul looks to money for. This is a promise of true freedom where your soul is content. We know that God is eager to give this to us because he sent Jesus to come after us and Jesus gave all of himself for us went to the cross, he paid off our debt of sin to welcome us into the kingdom of God, to give our souls true salvation, to set us truly free from the lie that we believed all the way back in the garden. See, Jesus is our model for generosity. He gave all so that we might have life and we are called to follow Jesus. And here's the deal, following Jesus does not mean you believe in Jesus. Yes, it it means you believe in him, but it means you do what he did. You follow him. You live like Jesus lived, and and he gave all. And, And so Jesus says this in verse 33. He says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. 
Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Take everything you have, lay it before God, and pray, God, what would you have me do with this? I'm not gonna hold back one penny. It's all yours, and I'm gonna trust you that this is the only thing that brings my, me joy, is seeking your kingdom, not this money. Guys, that takes faith. That takes otherworldly faith. It takes, look at me, weird faith. The kind of faith where people look at you and go, what are you doing? Like, honestly, what are you doing? So we have a culture right now that says the goal of your life is, is this thing we call retirement. Hey, set aside a bunch of money for the last 20, 30, 40 years of your life. Now, that's wise because it's harder to work the older you get. So it's wise so you have income so you can live. That's good. Proverbs tells us to do that. But we have a culture that says what retirement is, is it's your time to now live. You, you've worked your whole life and you've earned this, so save up enough money that you can live a life of luxury. You can live a life of ease. You can go buy a beach house and sit on the beach and stare at the horizon for 20 years. What would it look like to say, God, I've saved up all of this. I'm gonna put it before you. I have all this time I'm gonna put it before you. What would you have me do with this? You know what the church needs so badly is older saints who've been following Jesus for a long time who saying, I'm gonna spend my retirement in ministry. You can become a pastor. You can get involved. You can go across the sea and you can preach the gospel to people at the latter years of your life. You can get involved in church plants. Why are all the church planners 30-year-olds, right? It's because we have a culture that says that when it's later in life, that's time for rest. That's time to hang it up. Maybe God has something else for you during retirement. Here's another idea. This is crazy, so don't kill me. But many of you know my wife and I are foster parents for Fairfax County. One of the big problems that we see in the system right now are 17-year-olds who are about to age out of the foster care system because nobody adopts teenagers. So what happens is these 17-year-olds, they age out. The county provides a little assistance for them, but they're kind of on their own now. Many of them have had a hard life, so they don't have a high school degree or they can't get into college or they don't have any money at all. They can't support themselves. And we see this cycle in the system. I mean, I've, I've fostered several kids now, and what's crazy is how many of their parents, the kids that we have fostered, how their parents were in the foster care system. So here, this is crazy. What if people in their retirement said, I'm gonna adopt 17-year-olds because I've got money, I've got time, I've got bedrooms, I've got houses to get these kids on their feet so they can succeed in life. Now, yeah, that's not resting for the last few years of your life, but we got eternity for that. Or if you're here and you have a high income, we live in a very wealthy area. 
And that's good. It's, there's nothing wrong with having a high income. Praise God for that. God wants money in the pockets of his saints so they can invest it in the kingdom. So don't apologize for making a lot of money or having a lot of money. But what would it look like to go to God and say, God, you have given this to me, so what would you have me do? Think about this. If we didn't follow our culture's instructions to always upgrade lifestyle every time we had more money. And we said, I'm comfortable with this lifestyle. I don't need the bigger house. I don't need the nicer cars. I don't need all the nicer stuff and all the vacations. I'm, I'm good with this lifestyle. And look at how much I would have to invest, God, in whatever you would have me invested in. Again, the world's gonna look at that and go, that's crazy. Like, that's weird faith. Or maybe if you're in here and it's, you're having a hard time making ends meet. You do live paycheck to paycheck. You don't have a lot of excess to, to put before God and say, God, what would you have me do with this? But I encourage you to have the same faith. Take all of what you have and put it before God. And ask God, what would you have me do? I want you to be what helps me manage my money. And God probably is gonna say, yeah, you need to be faithful to your creditors. You need to get out of debt. You need to do things like that. But let me tell you this, don't let that be your out when it comes to being generous with your money and with your time. You can be generous even with a little bit of money. But I'll tell you this, if you're not generous when you're in debt, you're not gonna be generous when you're out. And so what does it look like, no matter who we are, where we are on the spectrum, to, to take what we have and say, God, you're king, and I want you to tell me what to do with this. It's all before you. And so the, the question this morning when it comes to our money is what are we going to believe? Will money bring rest to our soul? Or is the kingdom of God gonna bring rest to our soul? And our answer to that question is gonna drive our decisions. You know, I wanted to end with a uh, quote from one of my favorite uh, recording artists, a guy named John Bellion. He has a song called Stupid Deep. <laughs> but it spoke to me in this. Look at what he says. He says this. What if who I hoped to be was always me and the love I fought to feel was always free? What if all the things I've done were just attempts at earning love because the hole inside my heart is stupid deep? What if where I've tried to go was always here and the path I've tried to cut was always clear? Why has my life become a plan to put some money in my hand when the love I really need is stupid cheap. Your life does not begin when the barns are built or when the bank account is full. It's now and it's here. Seek his kingdom now, seek it here. God says to us, fear not little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Let's pray. God, I, I know that what we talked about this morning, our money is one of those topics that just hits our souls in different ways. Some of us 
have been blessed with abundance. Some of us are struggling to make ends meet. Some of us have never been worried about if food was gonna be on the table. And, and many of us know exactly what it is like to wonder if food is gonna be on the table or not. So God, I don't know how this room shakes out when it comes to all of that, but here's my prayer, God. Would you help all of us, no matter our situation, look to you for our joy and our freedom and our calling? God, would you help us to take all that we are, our, our money, our, our time, our talent, everything that you've given us and, and put it on the table before you and say, God, would you guide and direct me? Would you show me what to do? God, that we have this lie that always tells us that if we do that, if we don't spend this money on ourselves, if we don't save it for ourselves, then we'll ruin our lives. And it's a lie that just over and over and over again resurfaces. God, I'm wondering what it would look like if all of your people on the face of the earth, if your church, if every one of us said, God, I don't wanna be rich towards myself. I wanna be rich towards you. Everything is on the table. You tell me what to do. I'll trust you. I'll trust that you take pleasure in giving me the kingdom. I'll trust that in serving people and serving you and in serving your church, there is abundant joy to be found. A million times more joy than spending all of that money on myself. So God, would you guide and lead us this morning? Say no to that lie. Put everything on the table before you. Say, God, I'm ready for a life of joy, a life of faith. There'll be struggles and hardships along the way, but I wanna serve you for the rest of my life. Help us, Lord, to pray that. In Christ's name, amen.